Welcome everyone to Breaking Big Blue. I'm your host, Jordan Ron on ESPN, ESPN.com, Giants reporter. And we're sitting here now with the Giants at 0-3, okay? They didn't just lose on Sunday. They got blown away by the 49ers B team, 36-9, okay? The Giants lost 36-9 to a team, and as our ESPN uh, NFL Nation reporter for the 49ers, Nick Wagner, told me, 10 projected starters for the 49ers did not play. 10 starters, and the Giants lost by 27 points. It's almost incomprehensible. I, I don't even know what you're supposed to make of that. If they can't even hang with the 49ers B team, where's this first win coming from? Somebody, tell me. This week, they're 12-point underdogs on the road against the Rams. They're going to be underdogs the following week. They play on the road against the Cowboys, right? They're going to be big underdogs. So, I mean, 0-5, if they're not 0-5, we'll be blown away. We'll be stunned, right? They pulled off a huge upset, and everybody's going to be like stunned that they pulled off one of those two games. They're staring 0-5 right in their face. The Washington football team's on deck. Maybe that's a win at some point. They play them twice this year. The Bengals are somewhere out there on their schedule. Maybe that's a possibility. But really, how many victories are there on this schedule for the Giants? And the NFC East in general, I mean, the, the division's just awful. Between the Eagles, the Giants, and the Washington football team, I mean, the division stinks. But the Giants... They might be the worst of them all right now, at least, because offensively, geez, 12.7 points per game in today's NFL. They can't run the ball a lick. We could start there, but that's part of the problem, a big part of the problem. The offensive line isn't great. Daniel Jones is still turning them over, like, you know, you pop him, pop him breath mints, you know. Every time you turn around, he seems to be turning it over. I mean, you, you got to avoid those. So, I mean, it's not looking good for the Giants right now. It really isn't, which makes you then take a big-picture approach and look at it, and you see a new head coach, Joe Judge, first-year head coach. You want to be patient with him, right? you got to be patient with him. He's just instituting his program, getting the players that fit his system. They didn't have an offense. There was a lot of things working against Joe Judge and his new program. But, you know, this is, this is where the Giants stand. They have a, a, a first-year new coach with – a general manager who's in year three of the rebuild, and quite frankly, take take a step back and look at it. I know there's no Saquon Barkley right now, but they're not even close. What are we going to give him, five, six years to rebuild? Anybody can rebuild if you give him 10 years. Yeah, yeah, he'll, eventually he'll get it right. Yeah, yeah, sure. But what are we waiting for? And that, so that's going to be a big topic of conversation here is Dave Gettleman's future. Later on in the show, I'm going to go over some Gettle follies, Okay. Now, I'm not talking about the big mistakes that we've all talked about, to trying to rebuild around Eli and prop him up and get that one more last run or the signing Odell and then trading him later or the drafting him. Like all those big ones that we've debated for the past couple of years. We're not, no. The ghetto follies, what we're going to do is I'm going to, we can sit here and laugh and chuckle at some of the under-the-radar, low-key, ridiculous moves he's made over the past three years. And trust me, there's a lot of them. So some of them you won't even you probably forgot about. But we'll go over some of those. The ghetto follies are coming later. But let's talk about his future. So let's get into our guest. We'll go into it right now. On to the next one. All right, we got Dan Graziano here. He needs no introduction for you Giants fans. You know him. He was 
on the beat for a while. Now he's big time ESPN NFL analyst, but he covered the game last week. So he was there for that beauty of a Giants 49ers game, Dan, right? I mean, yeah. bring back old memories or what? It it did. Honestly, like I, I'm sitting here thinking they, they don't seem to be a lot better than I remember. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's, uh, you, know, you know, you've been you've been through it the whole way. I mean, it's just turnover and turnover and, you know, you wonder when something's going to catch. But uh, it was start to me, it was startling. I mean, like the 49ers were playing backups and like to not even be in the game or be able to get anything going at all. I, that was I don't know. It's got to be disappointing for the Giants fans, even even if you had you know, appropriate expectations for this season. For sure. Well, that, that let's get straight into it then, because Giants fans, they're out for blood right now, right? I mean, and the obvious uh, target is Dave Gettleman, okay? Because they have a brand-new head coach and a pretty young quarterback still. So Dave Gettleman uh, is the ire of fans at the moment, and for good reason. I mean, the team is bad. They've been pretty bad since he got there, and it doesn't look like they're that much better right now. So, what you know, this organization, you've spoken to people in this organization. Is there anything you think that can save Dave Gettleman this year? That's a good question. I think if you came out of this year with reason to feel really excited about Daniel Jones, right? Like, Daniel Jones has a great second half, second three quarters of the, you know, final three quarters of the season. And, and you, you come out and say, this guy has shown us as an organization, as a fan base, et cetera, that he's the guy. Like, he, he looks like he's a real franchise quarterback that we are fired up to have and we can build around him and we got the most important question answered. If that's your feeling about Daniel Jones at the end of this year, then I think that's a major point in Dave Gettleman's favor because, you know, we, we remember he went out on a limb to take him at six. You know, the whole thing was could he have traded mm -hmm. back, could he have got him with whatever the next pick was that they had 17. Uh, and, uh, you know – so he, he, he kind of staked his entire sort of career on that, really, because if that's – I mean, that's the, that's the decision that gets you fired as a general manager is if you miss on quarterback, especially in the first round. So I think that – I think it rests on that. Look, I mean, Saquon Barkley was obviously his pick. Um, a brilliant, outstanding, tremendous player, as good as any in the league. But, you know, he's going to get to the end of year three having missed, what, 17 games in two years? Like, that's, that's not great. 1748. Yeah, so you know they got a fifth-year option decision next spring. I mean, I don't doubt that they'll pick it up, but I mean, like how you know you're coming off of a year missed to, to injury. So yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I doubt. I mean, sure they could win a bunch of games. They could get into the playoffs, so that would certainly help them. But it just doesn't feel super likely right now. Yeah, I would say that's pretty fair to say right now. The thing is, if if they you know you get to that point with Daniel Jones. And where you're just totally sold on him and he's playing great, you're not going to then win, conversely, win two, three games. Like if he's that good, you're going to end up winning some games. So I think I think I guess, it's kind of yeah. go unless hand in hand losing, in a way, no? Unless you're losing 38 to 35 every week, right? I mean, like if the defense We've seen is that really, also, by the way. Remember that I mean, look, that's, Was that, that 2015? Like, it's only three weeks in, but – it's hard to find a team that's playing any defense right now. Like it, it's, yeah. I mean, Tampa Bay's defense looks good. I think Chicago's kind of been okay. The Steelers and the but, Giants playing. Yeah, steel. Right, exactly. But I mean, like you know, you watch a game like Dallas and Seattle. I mean, that that better not be how their defenses look by the end of the year, or else they're not going to go where they think they're going to go. So, um, 
it, it's a weird year, no question about it. But I mean, I think, you know, the, yes, I, I, the, the situation that I, the hypothetical that I gave you um, is, is far-fetched. I mean, I, it, Daniel Jones is not in a great position to have that kind of year where he makes that leap in terms of the faith you can have in him. He shows an awful lot, I think. Uh, but you know the turnovers are still an issue, and he, he's not in a great situation without Saquon Barkley. Now Sterling Shepard was out last week. I don't know how long that is, but um, he's on IR, right, Shepard? Yeah, so, so it's a minimum, minimum of three. So he's got at least at least two, two more weeks. Yeah, at least two more. And uh, you know he's just not. I, 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 I the offensive line is, you know, you're kind of stuck in that sort of muddle <laughs> again with the offensive line. So. I, I don't know that he's set up for success, and I think that's that's the big issue. Uh, it's going to be hard to get a real evaluation of him given the way the group around him looks right now. You really, you, you, I mean, you know how this organization works. Uh, I mean, they're very loyal in general. Uh, I know they've been on the two-year plan recently with the coaches, but in general, especially general managers, they had never fired a general manager, I don't think, prior to Jerry Reese recently. Is there a scenario in your mind where they would, and I know people want to say, hey, we don't want Dave Gettleman in charge of making any more midseason moves and doing another Leonard Williams to try and save his job, yeah. right? So what do you think the chances are that this organization, with the way that they operate, will pull the plug on that during the season? Well, I think it's slim. I, I mean, just based on what I know about the Giants, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, do you agree? Like, I, 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 don't, know, I, agree. I agree with you on this. Like, they're going to give him, I feel like – the full year to at least get that Daniel yeah. Jones evaluation and say, okay, and then sort of you know, make that judgment of where they are as an organization. I mean, they take pride in, in sort of not being the knee jerk team. And I know it, it just tears up like John Mara to, to have changed coaches every two years, you know, since Coughlin and uh, you know, when, when they made the change with Pat Shermer in the off season, and they kept Gettleman, you know, that was a question I was asking of, you know, people in the building, why just one and not the other? And the reason that was given was they didn't feel like Dave Gettleman had had two full years. Shermer had two full years, but they didn't feel like Gettleman had had two full years because he was sick in the first year. And they felt like it would have been unfair to judge him when half of the body of work they were looking at was a year where he was fighting cancer and he was back and forth on that. So they, they felt like it would have been the wrong thing to do to, because uh, they, they wanted to make sure they, they could say they had given him two years to evaluate. So certainly by the end of this year, they'll be able to say that. And um, if they don't feel like the performance is there, I, 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 don't, I, I think they would probably make a change. My question to you, Jordan, is do you think, I mean, we know about this, this separation of church and state, in the Giants organization. They, they have not historically been the kind of organization that does like what San Francisco did or Buffalo where the coach goes in and, and the coach really kind of, I don't want to say hires the GM, but certainly yeah. makes it known that this is the guy he they're, wants to yeah, work they're, with. They're pairs basically. Right. Now would, you know, did the Giants feel by the end of this year uh, uh, strongly enough about Joe Judge to create a situation like that where he would have some say in who comes in to be the GM and they would work sort of side by side. That would be a big departure for the Giants, but it is a copycat league, as we always say, and we are, we are looking at several examples around the league where that kind of arrangement is working very well. Right. Well, that was I was going to ask you because we, it's a, such a strange situation. This is the result 
of not doing it all at the same time, right? And then you're mismatching. You have to make the decision. Yes. And we bring in the and I think in this case, the more I was thinking about it, because I actually heard you talking about this earlier on the radio, it would be so weird for the Giants to then bring in a GM who didn't hire the coach. Yes. Right? Because then you'd have a GM here who, if he's not really a, guy, a judge guy or paired up with the coach, you have like a separate GM now who then has a coach who's brand new, who spent one year here, who's very strong personality. It would just seem like another disaster waiting to happen if you didn't then pair judge up with someone that at least, you know, he has some kind of working relationship right. with or, or ongoing relationship with. So I, yeah. I mean, but it is really interesting because as you mentioned, and you know, this organization, and you tell me if I'm wrong about this, pretty much more than any organization I know has been their front office and coaching staff are on like, they're totally separated. And I don't, I don't know that there's many organizations that are that far apart. Well, Pittsburgh, and that's that's the sort of parallel organization to the Giants right. in terms of the structure and how they sort of imitate each other. And obviously, they're very close. That you know, the families that own the teams are very close. Um, so yeah, Pittsburgh operates that way. Pittsburgh has a lot of success. I mean, they haven't. Pittsburgh hasn't had a stretch like the Giants yeah, have gone run, through here yeah. in the last six, seven years. So, you know, it's it's a little more sort of unassailable out there, mm -hmm. right? It's working. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it is rare. And I think, you know, you see it, look, you see it both ways, right? I mean, the situation with the Jets is one where the coach was hired and then, you know, whatever happened to get Mike McCagnan out of there. And then obviously Adam Gase had a lot of say in terms of bringing in Joe Douglas. That is not a good example. That's not the example you want to follow. It's not working. But uh, that may be, it may be because they hired the wrong coach. Now we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see how it goes, what, what ends up happening with Adam Gase. But um, if you feel like you've hired the right coach and you believe in his vision for the organization, um, then it makes a, a ton of sense. You're right. It does not make a ton of sense for ownership to go hire a GM and tell Joe judge, you know, Hey, this is the guy and you're stuck with him whether you like him or not. It makes a lot more sense to have them sit with Joe judge, talk about who he feels comfortable working with, have him be there in the interview process and have him have part of saying it because quite frankly, you're not going to want a situation where the coach and the GM have different views on personnel and roster management and the salary cap and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's just not going to work. And I think you would be putting Joe judge on the hot seat right there yeah. in year two, basically with the GM who might, might or might not like him. you know, that's and the reality. And you're stuck in this cycle. So look, let's say the 49ers, right? Remember they, they, they moved out Jim Harbaugh. They hired Chip Kelly after the Eagles fired him. That was right. one year. They gave the job to no wait it was Tom Sula first right Jim Tom Sula Tom anyway Sula they had two, and Chip, it, well, under um what's the uh, uh, Trent was was Trent's last name the GM yeah, yeah Balky so yes so they you know they they switch they changed coaches three years in a row I mean like these guys were only getting one year and, <laughs> and so now the ownership goes you know what we're doing it wrong. We're gonna we're gonna just we're gonna go out and get the guy we want, which is Kyle Shanahan, who's obviously extremely good at this, and we're gonna pair him with a, a GM that he's that the guy that he wants, which was an out of nowhere pick of John Lynch, and the two of those guys work very well together. They know what their roles are, and um, obviously the organization's had a lot of success in a short period of time. So I, that's the model I would look at. Buffalo, same thing, right? Sean McDermott goes in there. There is a GM in place. 
shortly thereafter, there isn't. And then uh, it, it's a guy that uh, Sean knows from Carolina. Uh, you know, th- th- we've seen this model work. And I think the reason it works is because those two have to be in lockstep. I mean, in Kansas City, the GM is Brett Veach, who was like Andy Reid, the guy that held like Andy Reid's headset yeah. on the sideline when he yeah, took was it off. Yeah, I was there in those days. He was, right he was his assist coach. He Eagles, was the assistant so. who answered the phone for him, basically. You know, I mean, that's what I mean, his job was. He, he kind of, Brett Veach, Andy Reid knows exactly who Brett Veach is because he created him. So, <laughs> yeah. like, like, that's the, that, that, that's a relationship that's, that's got to work and, uh, and you can, you can count on it working. So, to me, I would look for something. Now, all right, Joe Judge is, it, it does not have Andy Reid's experience. Uh, I don't know that he has his network. He may. I mean, I know he has a network, but it's not, you know, he, he hasn't put in the years and he's a young coach. So is that the kind of thing you want to do? I, I would look to do it if, if not just sort of let him tell you who he wants. Just, again, make sure he's part of the process because if you believe in him, and it sounds to me like Giants ownership really does believe in Joe Judge and, and like him very much from what they've seen so far, uh, then I think at some point you got to commit. You got you got to say, look, this is this is we're going to go with this guy's vision, and that means, you know, maybe a different way of doing things than we're used to around here. Yeah, well, it's funny because, uh, and this will probably factor in as well. Like I think Amos Jones, who's one of like uh, Judge's closest mentors, and uh, you know, he's on the Giants staff. Like he's he's in his ear, right? They're very close, very close. The story he tells about Joe Judge, and I think he's told the Athletic when you know, he was hired, when they were doing a story on Judge, is that basically if Joe Judge, if somebody goes and sits down with Joe Judge, he's such a persuasive individual and he has that personality that if he gets that input, he's, that you're going to hire him. You're, he's going to get what he wants, right? right. So <laughs> you, you would think that would hold true too when he sits down and goes and states his case to upper management if they're looking for a new general manager that Joe Judge would definitely have serious input in that individual. Well, and, uh, yeah, and he would be able if to you're convince o- If them. you're ownership and you're going to go to Joe Judge and bring this up, you've got to be willing to give him that say, right? <laughs> like you're not right. going to go to him and say, hey, we'd like your opinion, but then we're going to make our own decision. Like you, you're, you're telling him, hey, you're, in, you're, part, you're a big part of this decision. You're going to help us make it. Uh, at the very least, so like we're way down the road here. I'm yeah. like, frankly, the the you know, Dave Gettleman's still the GM. Like, it's not <laughs> we don't know for a fact that they're going to be doing this, but hypothetically, if they do get into that situation, that's the way I would I would advise them to try and do it. The reality is, we're both assuming at this point, and it's assumption for sure. Well, we're that we're, we don't see this team. Not that he's fired, but we don't see this team winning six, seven, eight games. At this point, they're 0-3. They came into the season with an over-under of six, and now they've lost Saquon Barkley since then, and they've proved to look worse than we thought they were going to look. So if they, we're, we're envisioning, obviously, this is all based on the fact that we're predicting them to be coming off a 3-4-5 win season, maybe. Well, yeah, I don't. I mean, uh, six and seven from here on out would be, I think, an accomplishment. I know the schedule uh, softens up, but um... – you know, I feel like we've said this for years. I mean, they're the soft spot on the other team's schedule, right? <laughs> like that's sure. the, the, so it's not, you can't count on that. I, 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 I think it's a shame. I mean, obviously, you know, they're in a really bad cycle. There's no question about it. I mean, I'm not, you know, we, I've, I took a lot of grief and still do sometimes from Giants fans for being too negative. And I always say, you know, they had a losing record every year I covered them. What did you want me to write? <laughs> 
So, I mean, they're, they're obviously in a bad cycle. That is simply an objective assessment and they have to find a way out of it. So to me, assuming we get to the end of this year and it's another crummy year as it has started out to be, uh, I would think that you have to, if you're Giants ownership, consider this has been our way of doing business forever, but we have to think about doing it differently because right now it's just not working. Yeah, well, if they got rid of the general manager, that would certainly be indicative of where they're at in, in regards to that because they don't fire general managers and yet they have a, they're going to keep a coach and then get rid of a general manager. It's complete new territory. It would be complete new territory for this organization. But if they do turn it around, Dan, like we said, it would be contingent on Daniel Jones and his growth and improvement. I'm curious, what do you hear about around the league about Daniel Jones? Because, you know, we, there's – there's people that seem to be all over the map about, about him around here. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. Feeling like you need a marketing degree and an extra day in your week to successfully market your small business? Let Constant Contact do the heavy lifting for you. Constant Contact's award-winning marketing platform has powerful tools that make it easy to grow your audience, engage your customers, and sell more to boost your business. Now, in just a few clicks, you can launch a marketing campaign that's tailored to your business and goals. That includes email, social, SMS, and more. So you can sell more, raise more, and fast-track your business growth. Plus, you can always count on Constant Contact's award-winning customer support for guidance along the way. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Constant Contact. Helping the small stand tall. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. I think, first of all, people start with positives. I think there's a lot to like. And, and I think that the, the impression people have of him is positive. I think you see, you know, the ability to move around. I, I mean, obviously throws a very nice ball. Um, I think people look at, and they look at the David Cutcliffe pedigree and, and that means something to people in this league. And, um, I, so I think when you ask for evaluations of that player, you, you get positives to start out, but you know, the turnover problem is real and it's significant and the numbers are unsustainable. And so you certainly hope you're not looking at Jameis Winston. Right. I mean, like, I it's not, you know, you know what you are when you turn, if you turn the ball over 32 times in a season, you're James, yeah. Winston, you're James Winston. But, and you better come with 30 touchdowns and 5,000 yards like Jameis did last year. If you're <laughs> going to do that, but and um, he's still without a starting job though. 
and he still is backing up Drew Brees in New Orleans, which you know, who knows the way Drew started out. Maybe yeah. that's a, a, a upward mobility <laughs> there. Who knows? But, um, you know, you don't want him to be that. And, and no offense to Jameis, who's had some success in the league, but that's not, you know, you're, you're hoping that your guy gets the turnover issue under control. And he hasn't shown that. So um, he's been the starter for, what, about a calendar year, right? Didn't he start week three? A little bit more. He's, he's his... he's a, this week will be a full season of starts. This is, this is start number 16 will be this week. Oh, because – Sunday cause in the Rams. Because he missed a couple of games. Injury, right. So, yeah. all right. So, I mean, you know, it, it's early, right? I mean, like you can't, you can't really judge him yet. But I think he's thought of as a good prospect. And when he was, when he was drafted um, – you heard a lot of what we were talking about. People thought it have to be six. Like, was he worthy of that pick? Um, and there were people that didn't think he was franchise quarter, but you know, quarterback's very subjective. I mean, there's, you can get different people to tell you different things that like opposite things about the same player. And they could both be people you respect. They just, that's not it's like, I'm not a right. Daniel Jones guy. Right. So I think you hear positives and I think people think there's obviously potential there for him to do some great things, but you know, he'd better be in the right coaching situation, right? Jason Garrett and Joe judge better be the people to, to unlock it and to help him get the turnover thing under control. Because you see these guys get maybe three, maybe four years before people are ready to judge Baker Mayfield's in year three. And and there are questions in Cleveland, Sam Darnold's in year three and there are questions there. So uh, it happens quick and and he's got to show something this year or else the feeling about him is going to change and not in the right direction. He just has to cut down on the turnovers. It's really that simple. You got to have, you got to have a clean game every now and then. I mean, that's that's really. If he just did that and cut down on the turnovers a little bit, I think the optimism on him would be really high. But uh, one of the people in charge of that is Jason Garrett, who you mentioned before. Uh, you've watched plenty of him in Dallas. Uh, now you see what's going on here with the Giants. There, I mean, you talked about all the points around the league. The Giants are averaging 12.7 points per game, Dan. I mean, I think the Jets are the only team that scored fewer points. One by fewer. One? one by one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> they're in a they're in a race for you know futility. I mean, it's hard to do that in today's NFL. How surprised it, 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 are you that they, they've that they've struggled so much under Jason Garrett to start here? Well, I mean, the the Saquon Barkley injury is not to be ignored. I mean, that the, the no, offense of is not. designed around him, so. He vanishes in the middle of the second game. You know, that's a tough adjustment. And Devontae Freeman, I know they really liked Devontae Freeman's workout. I know they really liked the way he looked in practice last week. But he just got there. So you don't know what you're going to get out of that. And, and best case scenario is certainly nothing approaching Saquon Barkley. So um, I think you got to give him a couple of weeks to figure it out, how this is going to work without the player that, was the center of the plan as recently as three weeks ago. So, I mean, yeah. And and so then you get into, are the receivers what you want them to be? I mean, it's a good group of receivers when they're all healthy. Uh, And the offensive line, we've talked about rookie left tackle is he's been uh, uneven. Is that? Yeah. That's a, that's a very fair word for what he's like a rookie ups and up and down is what, uh, you know, Mark Colombo, the offensive line coach, told me yesterday. Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, but then that's kind of what you expect. You know, and he's a rookie tackle. Right. right. So you better have, you know, your left guard better be somebody that, you know, can really help him in a lot of different ways. And, you know, if the rest of the line isn't there, that's that's going to be tough. But, 
you know, Garrett's an interesting, I mean, Garrett was a head coach for a very long time. He was an offensive coordinator before that. I, I kind of got the impression that moving back into the offensive, it obviously wasn't his choice, but moving back into the offensive coordinator role might sort of, you know, um, fire up some old, you know, old muscles of, of Garrett's, right? And I, right. I think he, he's, he's energized by the idea of it. Um, and I think he likes the people he has in, in certain spots. And, and um, you know, we'll see. I, I, if they go through the whole year averaging 12 points a game, that's certainly not a feather. A feather it's probably not going to help his candidacy to be a head coach no. moving forward, I would <laughs> it doesn't, say. It doesn't your road back to the big chair, no. <laughs> I mean, look, it's very interesting because, you know, preaching patience to Giants fans right now is, is a difficult uh, – you know, it's a difficult approach, but, and you just, the things that have happened so far, like he's a tight end heavy guy, right? Yeah. And somehow Evan Ingram has almost regressed into like just a guy. Like it, it seems like he's going in the wrong direction in his career. It's just everything about it's been a little head, head scratching with the offense here and Jason Garrett so far. And I, and I, and I think, it's understandable why Giants fans are, are having a hard time stomaching this because all those picks were first-round picks on the offensive side of the ball. You want to see them then go in the other direction. So, now, I mean, is he asking Evan Ingram to, to play tight end and block and all that stuff, or is he asking him to be a receiver that happens to line up tight? Because it seems like, to me, the second way is the better way to use Evan Ingram. And, yeah, um, they're using him there about like close to seventy percent of the time of, as a detached yeah. tight end. So, uh, but it just hasn't. I mean, I saw the first the results just haven't been very good. Yeah, first game was a disaster for him. Yeah, I mean, he just had a rough night. So, I mean, look, he, he's going to have to be a playmaker. I mean, like the, he's one of the exceptional athletic ability guys that they have out there on the offensive side. So. Yeah. If he's not going to operate at the high level that we've seen him operate at when healthy, then their problems continue to mount. Yeah, I, I think that's the thing is you, you need him and you want him so badly to be this explosive guy. And they need him more than ever now because Saquon's not yeah. there. And it just it really hasn't happened so far. But it is, like you said, it's three weeks into the season. We need to give the, the Jason Garrett experiment a little time here to see where it goes. But. Uh, in the meantime, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, I'm just saying three weeks into the season. I mean, 0 and 3 is a, is a rough place to be. Like, even if they were 1 and 2, you'd be able to preach patience a little more successfully, I think. But 0 and 3 is like, I mean, it, you just despair starts to set in. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's the situation they're in now. But they're not the only ones, right? The NFC East in general, it's a bad division. Yeah. But it, it doesn't look great. <laughs> what. I mean, can you find a scenario where the Dallas Cowboys, in your mind, are not going to win this division at this point? Well, I mean, they've given up 78 points the last two <laughs> weeks. So, I mean, that certainly points to a uh, – and, and remember, I mean, they needed a, a straight-up miracle yes. uh, to win the only game they've the won. Literally the only game since 1933 where someone scored at least 39 points didn't turn the ball over and failed to win the game. So like a historic miracle is what, is what the Cowboys win was. And the only make an argument, so make an argument for someone else to win the division. No, I can't. The only (laughs) other win that the division has is against a division team. It's Washington over Philadelphia in week one. So when you have a division where the, the team that had the best week is the one that tied the Bengals 
That's not a good, that, that's, that division's not doing well. And so Dallas has the most talent. It has the most talented roster. We, you know, we thought Philly was kind of there with them, but Philly, they're so shredded with injuries, yeah. more than any other team except maybe San Francisco. And they, it turns out they don't have the depth San Francisco has. Maybe nobody does. But, um, you know, and obviously the quarterback in Philadelphia, something looks to be, I mean, he's, he looks like he's regressing, honestly, which is very disappointing to a lot of people. And, uh, you know, they don't look like they're going to have the answers because of how thinned out their roster is at key spots. I mean, all their success in recent years has been tied in large part, you know, as you know, to the way they've maintained the depth of talent on the offense offensive line and they're just so banged up there and they're so banged up at receiver you know there's so much pressure on the coach and the quarterback that you know at some point somebody else has to take some and right now the coach and the quarterback are not operating at the highest level we've seen them operate so it's hard to imagine you can't count them out because they Peterson has lugged that team into the playoffs the last two years when it all seemed lost but this roster that they have right now, as it stands, does not look playoff caliber. Dallas's does. They just need to figure out this new Mike Nolan system and start figuring out how to stop some people. Aldous Smith seems to know what he's doing, but nobody else on that side of the ball <laughs> is, uh, is standing in anyone's way. So I think that's the team that has the most potential to get there. You know, Washington, I thought Washington would be tough up front on defense, all those first-round picks, but now they're hurt. You know, and yeah. Chase Young is hurt, and Matt Ioannidis, who was a key player for them on the defensive line. So, and they can't score. So, I, I think it's got to be Dallas, and uh, it could be a year where they kind of fumble their way through it and uh, and win it at nine and seven. Well, it does give the Giants opportunities. They can finally maybe sneak out a victory over the Eagles or Cowboys at some point of this season, which they haven't done then. I believe it's since 2016 season at this point for both those teams. Which That's is unbelievable. Just, That's yeah. Dallas game where like uh, Odell caught the one pass and went the whole length of the field and then the defense held on to it like that. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, the late in 2016, exactly. Yeah, it was like 10-7 <laughs> or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. They, that was the year they made the playoffs and couldn't score. Yeah, yeah. They, they went shirtless in uh, Green Bay and yeah, went on a boat trip. And, yeah. Yeah, we know boat, that went. Yeah. I threw up all over the place. And, yeah, yeah, that was a big day for you. Yeah, you almost, yeah, <laughs> almost passed out in your car in the parking lot. Yeah, that is yeah. true. That is true. Memories, memories. Well, yeah, good, Dan, good memories. I appreciate it. Yeah, good memories. It, it's not good when we're back in the same spot like five years later. You know, like we were having these same conversations about the offensive line, about the offensive no, ineptitude. I mean, like literally five years ago. And now we're, we're kind of back here again. I mean, people... People don't believe me, but I would love to have a different conversation about the Giants at some point. Like it, it is, it, it's a bad, bad cycle. And, and uh, I'm not telling you or anybody who's listening to this anything they don't know. Well, hopefully there's better days ahead. We appreciate your time, Dan. Thanks so much. There you go. That was Dan Graziano. You all know him well. And, you know, I've worked with him for several years now. He, I'm telling you, he is one of the most insightful people on the Giants he knows this organization inside and out, still talks to people there, still has friends there. So when he talks about the Giants, you should listen. Because you know what? When he talks about the Giants, I listen. So we appreciate having him on. And obviously a main part of that conversation was the future of Dave Gettleman. And the reason we're talking about the future of Dave Gettleman is because the moves overall 
have just been poor. There's really no way around it, right? The moves overall have not been good. Now, we've debated some of the biggest ones, the drafting of Saquon, the bringing back Eli, uh, the trading for Leonard Williams, you know, over and over. And I will say this, okay? I'm not a fan of Dave Gettleman as a general manager. I'm basically diametrically opposed to him philosophically on everything. Like everything I believe and think, he's basically done the complete opposite. So I have not been in agreement with a lot of his moves. Okay. I mean, you could start with the Saquon pick. You could start, you could go along with, you know, the trying to build around Eli for one last run and keep bringing him back. Uh, the Leonard Williams trade to me, just absolutely ridiculous on not forget the player, nothing to do with the player, just the concept of trading for a guy who was about to hit free agency when you were two and six at the time. And then to say like, yeah, we needed, we needed a, a, a boost. Like what? You know, that, that's something you heard from the organization later on. Like, yeah, they felt like they needed, they needed a, a little jolt. Like what? What? Get out of here with that. So it goes beyond that though. It stretches well beyond that, which is why we're going to go with some of the ghetto follies here. These are the uh, under-the-radar bad moves that you might have forgotten about, but I will remind you right now, okay? Let's start with some of the secondary, because the secondary has been a mess. And some of the, the most ridiculous moves, they've been minor, but, like, you think about, okay, Curtis Riley, okay? The Tennessee Titans did not even want Curtis Riley for the minimum. They had an option to bring him back for minimum salary. They decided we don't even want him for minimum salary. The Giants then go and sign him. And Curtis Riley is their starter for a full 16 games? I mean, ridiculous. Then they, what they Antoine Bethea comes later. They, I mean, come on. Talk about a ghetto folly. Antoine Bethea was done. Yes, James Betcher probably had something to do with that move, but... Get something else. You know, you got to have a contingency plan for a 35, 36-year-old. And the Giants did not have it. And then, you know, they cut guys like Darian Thompson, who's on the Cowboys roster, still a player. Andrew Adams, he's on the Bucks roster, still a player. Um, they cut um, Romeo Aquara, who's proven he's a player. I mean, these are guys that the ghetto been just flat out, and the Giants and Shermer flat out cut, cut. These are at least useful players in the NFL. These are guys that have consistently been on rosters, been contributors to other teams. The Giants deemed their roster was too good for those three guys. So add those to the ghetto follies. I mean, how about cornerback? Sam Beal, that third-round supplemental pick, you knew at the time. The Giants took Sam Beal, said he was perfectly healthy, didn't really even say they might. They kind of downplayed that they even knew about a previous shoulder injury. And guess what happens to him? First practice, Sam Beal's shoulder is injured. He has to miss the whole season. And then Dave Gettleman had the gall then to say that offseason or later that year that they viewed Sam Beal as like having a second-round pick the following year. A second-round pick. He's, he was already a third-round supplemental pick, and then he was damaged goods after that, and you're upgrading him to a second-round pick from a third-round pick. I mean, you got to be kidding me on that. Oh, I forgot this one. Here's one. I'm trying to do impromptu here because I think it adds more value uh, of uh, just remembering some of these uh, genius moves that, that that we can sort of conjure up. And uh, William Gay. Do you remember William Gay? 
No, you probably don't because William Gay played his whole career for the, the Steelers. The Giants signed They guaranteed him a million dollars. He didn't even make it to the regular season. And while we're talking about – there we go. While we're talking about guys who didn't really play for the Giants, Patrick Omame, one of their first – one of the Gettleman first signings to fix that offensive line, right? They sign him. They give him starter money. He was a fringe starter in a couple spots previously. They give him starter money. And by midway through that season, he's not even on the roster. They had to cut him. And it's not like, okay, this wasn't the right situation for Patrick Mame. No, 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 no. Patrick Mame is a bit of, goes and leaves, and he's a backup you know, in New Orleans or wherever he's been ever since. So that was just a bad move. I mean, add to the ghetto follies. A part of that was that Eric Flowers was there. They just... Remember, Omame and Flowers are playing next to each other on the right side because the Giants, their genius move, first of all, they signed Solder. Again, we're not going to go over the big ones. We've the, we've talked about these over the years. but So they signed Nate Solder. They're moving Eric Flowers then, who doesn't show up in the offseason. They just hand him the starting right tackle job with no real contingency plan. And so then they go into the season on the right with the right side of the line of Eric Flowers, who, by the way, has turned around his career at guard elsewhere in Washington and now in uh, Miami. But tackle just obviously wasn't the spot for him. He's playing right tackle, and Omame's playing right guard. I mean, talk about the, the, the ghetto follies. I mean, that's that's near the top of the list right there. Wide receiver, again, we're not going to get near. The, we're not going to go in the Golden Tate one. That was another uh, Eli-related move. That the, Those are ones that we all know about. Oh, Jonathan Stewart. Yes, this one has gained a lot of attention, but it's always worth bringing up the Jonathan Stewart signing and Gettleman standing there at the podium, uh, pretend, mocking analytics with his hands. My hands are going up and down right now. And, you know, positional value, it's all, you know, ho- it's all hokey BS. Because look at Jonathan Stewart. He's still playing at a high level. Yeah, Jonathan Stewart took that paycheck that he got from the Giants and went into retirement, basically. I think he ran for three or six rushes for like 18 yards, something like that. So the whole Jonathan Stewart, again, everything I'm diametrically opposed to. And the Giants, again, are in a position where their backfield, again, this is a little different because Saquon is hurt. But one position where you would like to have young talent and every team should have young talent because you can get it late in drafts even is running back. No, no. The Giants right now have Devontae Freeman at 28 years old. Deion Lewis, not sure his age, but right around the 30 mark, I believe, right? And, you know, this is their backfield right now. And then Alfred Morris is now on the on the practice squad. Alfred Morris! I mean, this is like a, a backfield from like five years ago. So, oh, man. I mean, we could just continue on and on. I mean, some of the linebackers that, that, you know, that they've thrown out there. We, you know that Tay Davis stuff? That was, like, the Giants went into last year with a roster that produced Tay Davis as their starter. They produced a roster that produced at the same position this year. It's going to be uh, Devontae Downs. Now, granted, that is in part because David Mayo's injured, but Devontae Downs was ahead of him even before David Mayo got injured. So, whoa, geez. I mean, we could probably go on and come up with some more ghetto follies, but I'm going to wrap this episode up. First, I'm going to give you a prediction because – I've kind of been in this situation for a few years now where you just get to the point where the Giants, you say, look, I'm not picking them to win. 
and I'm not certainly not picking them to win this week. I'm not picking them to the win until they actually show that they can win a game. So it might be a while. Now I think they'll play. They'll they'll fight. They'll play better. They'll say let's say 31 to 20 Rams, which actually covers for the Giants, which actually would be a cover. So 31 20 Rams. Uh, the Rams probably could put up 40 if they want, but they you know slow it down a little bit later in the game. And I'm giving the Giants credit for throwing in a scrub touchdown near the end and getting to 20 points for the first time this year. Think about that. They haven't reached 20 points. Jason Garrett, your offense, get it together. 20 points in the NFL. Today's NFL shouldn't be that hard. Oh, boy. Well, you know everyone knows how to reach me. You know what? I'm thinking of doing a Giants after dark. We'll either do it Sunday after the game, so maybe Sunday night we could do it. Almost immediately after the game, like after all the press conferences and stuff, and I finish what I need to do. So we could do it late Sunday night. We could do it before the game on Sunday, like maybe Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, early afternoon. Or we could do it on Monday. So like the day after the game, Giants After Dark, where I'll answer all your questions. So send me feedback. You can reach me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, email. You guys know how to reach me. Uh, give me your feedback on that. I want to know if I do a Giants After Dark around the game where do you want it and as always tell your friends about this podcast it's available on all podcast platforms give us a rating uh you know send around the word and feedback is always welcome seriously i i welcome all feedback on anything and everything so feel free and that's it in this episode of breaking big blue i'm your host jordan ronan see you next time